Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries podcast. I'm your host, John. This is the podcast where we talk about role-playing games, mainly with an OSR flavour, but with some other stuff thrown in there as well. So let's take a slurp on that good old liquid XP and get straight into it. So I was going to go out for a walk again and record this podcast while I'm out and about but because it's a little bit later in the day the traffic noise as I'm sure you'll probably hear later on anyway is quite loud and would probably blot out most of my voice since I don't have a great microphone on my phone so I've been out for my day's walk and I'm now in my back garden and I'm going to record it here and we'll see how we get on let me know what you think of these outdoor podcasts these sort of gorilla podcasting And before we start, we've got a call-in from Jason about one of our previous episodes. Take it away, Jason. Hey, John. Just listen to your Spaghetti Western with 5e Stank episode. And it doesn't really appeal to me because I like my Westerns to be, I say, straight. But Hollywood Westerns are fine, too. But not... I'm just, I'd rather not have fantasy and weirdness and stuff mixed into my Westerns. I like my Westerns to just be more mundane. Yeah, I can certainly see what you're saying there, Jason. And I think if you do incorporate fantasy elements into a Western, it can be quite difficult to get the balance right. I'm certainly finding that with my Easy D6 campaign that I'm running at the minute, which incorporates elements of sort of the Wild West with also fantasy stuff. And it's difficult to know how much you lean into the fantasy how much you lean into the western and i'd be lying if i said i thought i'd got it 100 right at the moment but you know it's a learning process but i can certainly see what you're saying about there being an argument for just sticking to the straight western theme but that said you're 100 right we can't fault creators for ma- releasing 5e versions of their stuff or writing things for 5e when you know they're trying to make money because it by far is the most popular game out there, and they're going to make a multitude more sales with 5e than they are with other systems. That said, obviously, and you've done this before, you can easily take the concepts from this and apply it to OSE or apply it to EZD6 or, or whatever system you want to run. You could easily use this as a source book and just ignore the stats. So if this is somebody's cup of tea, it sounds like a, a well-done version of that. Great episode. Looking forward to your next one. Thanks, Jason. Very much appreciated. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. As you say, there is nothing to stop you taking stuff out of Brancolonia or indeed any other supplement and using at least the background or some of that lore information for use in your game, regardless of the system. And that's pretty much why I picked up Brancolonia. I'd heard a few positive things about it. I found the setting intriguing. I was never really going to look to run it in 5th edition, but I sufficiently enjoyed it that I've backed the bestiary and another book they have coming out on Kickstarter at the moment. So I really enjoyed the background. It's something I'd not experienced before and something that I'm not familiar with. There's some Italian folklore and stuff like that like that so i'm very much looking forward to seeing the new books even though i expect i'll mainly just be using the sort of background and the law if and when i get around to running in the game rather than fifth edition just because that's not my flavor but as you say you can't blame a business for wanting to 
put out a version for the most popular system because by far they're going to sell more copies for 5th edition than they would do if they put it out for almost any other game system. Thanks very much, Jason. Always greatly appreciate it. And if you've not checked out Jason's podcast, the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, I suggest you do so. It's a great RPG podcast where he talks about role-playing games, obviously, films and other sources of inspiration with a focus on caller feedback, which is great to hear. So, I mentioned the Liquid XP earlier on in the introduction. So what do I mean by that? Well, I'm referring to the fact that in a lot of old school games, you tend to get a small amount of XP for killing monsters, etc. And you get a larger XP, normally 1 XP per gold piece or silver piece, depending on what the the currency of preference is in your game for returning with treasure from a dungeon or an adventure and spending that in some way. Now, part of the reason I like this is because although you do get XP for killing monsters, the mainstay of your XP is gained for treasure, which you only gain through exploring, discovering more of the world or the dungeon, etc., and that's what I really feel the old school games are about at their heart, is this sense of exploration, finding out what's in the next corridor or around the next corner or in the next hex if you're going through the wilderness. Now, I've been looking at a, a lot of sort of streamlined and simplified versions of D&D, let's call it, the sort of OSR-style games, at the moment i'm running easy d6 as you may be aware if you listen to my previous podcast entries i've got a campaign ongoing with that bi-weekly we're about 16 sessions or so in at the moment and that's going great although it has thrown up a few things which were maybe not to my particular taste and i've posted about that on the Substack if you want to check that out but i've been looking at a few other books that are also streamlined systems like um tiny dungeons and stuff like that obviously nave uh, maze rats and various other things and one thing i've noticed as i've sort of gone through not all but some of these uh, newer versions of old school systems these streamlined versions is that a lot of them either abstract out or sort of tend to move the spotlight away from money from cash which was always a big part of the osr games for me you know you were sort of counting up your gold pieces working out what you're going to spend it on at higher levels maybe investing it in fortresses and stuff like that so it seemed a bit odd that these games place so little sort of emphasis on it and i've been trying to think about why that might be the case and I think part of it is just because there's this idea in D&D that once you get a certain amount of gold pieces, that it really stops having any sort of reasonable impact on the game. You know, once you've got 10,000 gold pieces, does another few thousand really make any difference? And I can see the logic in that. I suppose once you've seen one dragon's hoard of gold pieces, you've seen them all, and it would lessen the impact of future treasure hoards. Like I say, though, to me, the 
impact of the gold pieces was never like actually having the gold pieces i mean i know some games tend to be in these sort of sword and sorcery sort of vein tend to just have you start the next adventure with virtually no money assuming you've spent it all and frittered it away or there's other game systems that encourage you to invest it or spend it or use it for various carousings and getting drunk between adventures and celebrating and stuff like that so for me the actual gold piece possession wasn't really important it was this idea that the the gold you recovered was measured well, it was used as a measure of your progress and how far your explorations had proceeded in the game and also for getting that sweet, sweet XP. Now, this ties into another sort of aspect of these streamlined games that I've been thinking about, and that's that a lot of them tend to abstract away the resource allocation aspects of old school games. And that could be as simple as something as like counting how many arrows you've got and ticking one off each time. And a few of these streamlined systems say they're doing it with the desire of speeding up games, having less bookkeeping, and I think you could certainly make an argument for that. And I've played in games, certainly when I was younger, where we'd say, oh, don't worry about the ammunition, we can't be bothered to track it, and that's absolutely fine. For me, though, it's never really seemed that much effort. If you know you've got 10 arrows, you just like each time you use one, you put a little X, when you get to 10, you know that you've run out of arrows. And Knowing that your resources are going to run out also gives you something to spend your hard-earned loot on. Because let's face it, if your arrows never run out, your bullets never run out, whatever, your crossbow bolts never run out, then they never need to be replenished. Which I think is a great shame because it removes one of the things that you can actually spend your money on. And thereby takes away from the impact and the usefulness of gold within the game or silver, whatever you're using, and forces the games to either just ignore it and sort of hand wave it away or try and find alternate applications for it. Some games, uh, the, the more streamlined games like the Black Hack, etc., they make use of the usage dice, which is a, a dice, let's say like you have a D6 to represent how many arrows you've got. After each encounter where you use them, you roll that usage dice. If you get a 1, you drop the dice down to the next smallest dice, so in this case a d4. When your d4 rolls a 1, that means you entirely run out. And I can see the logic of that. Again, it's fairly simple. You know, you've just got to roll dice whatever you used at the end of the encounter and tick down the ones that you've unfortunately rolled a one on on your usage dice but to me it brings an amount of uncertainty into the game after all if you know that your torch is going to burn for a certain amount of rounds or minutes hours whatever then you can go right okay we're going into that uh, dungeon we're probably going to stay in there for about four hours i need this many torches and i might take a few in reserve if you know that you've only got 20 arrows to use, you're going to be thinking a little bit more carefully about how you're going to be using those arrows and do you really need to take a shot as you're going into the dungeon. And this applies to all manner of resources like rope, etc. After all, if you've only got one length of rope and you need to climb down a cliff or a steep rock face and you've tied it off at the top, how are you going to get that rope back? You're going to have to manage the rest of the adventure without it. Or do you bring spares and risk being encumbered and weighed down by the weight of extra provisions and supplies, etc.? 
and having this in the game, this resource allocation, really adds an extra level of thought in my mind of stuff you have to consider before you go on a dungeon delve or whatever. Do we need to get um, hirelings to come along and bring some stuff, in which case we've got to pay them, another use for the gold. Do we need to bring a cart, in which case we might have trouble manoeuvring it around the dungeon? Or do we bring a pack mule or something similar? All of this extra stuff that for me is a big part of the OSR game and adds a great deal more, not complexity, but a lot more depth and sort of verisimilitude to a dungeon crawl and things like that. It can be just removed by the effort to oversimplify these things. And I think that's a shame, to be honest, because it is a big part of OSR games for me and it's one I very much enjoy. So there we go. That's it for this episode. What do you think about streamlined games? Should they remove the resource allocation parts of the sort of D&D style game? Do you love resource allocation? Do you hate it? Do you use alternate rules like the usage dice? I'd love to hear what you have to say on the subject. And we might even play your call like we did with Jason's earlier. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a voicemail at SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description down below. Or you can send us an email to oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you like, you can leave us a comment on the Substack. All of your feedback is greatly appreciated. So... Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you still are. If you've enjoyed it, please feel free to like, share, subscribe to the Substack and all of that good stuff. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. So until we do, take care, stay safe, and whenever you're playing, have fun.